When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much for picking this podcast. You know, I started this show seven and a half years ago. We've now done, I believe this is episode 710. We've done a lot of interviews about a lot of interesting topics. And today we're going to touch on presentation skills and storytelling for executives. Now, if you're an executive and it's your turn to speak at a board meeting, in front of clients, in front of your industry, etc., if you get up and you nail it and you can give a great speech and use words as tools, if you can mold that, people are going to say, wow, I want to follow that leader. But if you get up there and go, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, um, uh, so I, you know, over and over again, people are going to be like, nope, that person's not my cup of tea. So it's really important that you pay attention to this. So I brought to you an expert, Michael Davis from Speaking CPR, who is going to talk to us all about why executives need to have better presentation skills. So Michael, welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you, Tom. Even though it's the end of the day, I'm enthused because of you, my friend. I mean, it's just coming through that energy. I love it. It's great to be with you today. Well, thank you. It is all about the energy. And before I get started, I have to thank the first sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Stanton Chase International, one of the leading global executive search firms serving as trusted advisors to help companies grow their senior leadership teams. Now, if your team is looking to grow, you need to hire a CFO, a CMO. Heck, you need a brand new CEO. You need to talk to a state-of-the-art, top-tier executive search firm, and Stanton Chase International has to be on your radar. Now, here's the thing. I work for Stanton Chase International, so you want to get in touch with me because I'm going to put you in touch with the best person in the world for your industry so that you're going to make sure that you build out your team correctly so that your company can thrive. All right, so Michael, here we are on Making Waves at Sea Level, and we're going to talk a little bit about speaking for executives. But for those of you who don't know Michael Davis, Michael helps business owners and executives become more confident every time they talk to a group, every single time. And that's true whether it's in person or whether they're in a virtual or on-camera recorded situation. And he's been doing this for over 12 years. And here's the interesting thing. Many, many years ago, when he was a certified financial planner, he gave a speech and his boss came up to him and said, wow, that was really horrible. Now, I know you're thinking, what? How do you go from really horrible to being the guy who teaches? Well, he joined a Toastmasters club. He he started doing the self-taught stuff, learning how to do it, reviewing. Then he went out and got coaching. And once he got coaching, boom, he himself became a state-of-the-art public speaker. Well, guess what? Now he's helping other people do just the same thing. So, Michael, let's get started. What is the biggest mistake people make when they're making a business presentation? 
It's a mistake I call the lunch buffet effect, Tom. And you know this, being in the speaking world, we stand up in front of a camera or an audience and we give them everything they've got. <laughs> it's like going to, well, pre-COVID, we'd go to lunch buffets and we'd sit down and well, we'd go to over to the buffet line and we'd fill our plates up. We'd go sit down, we'd start eating. And about halfway through, we'd think, wow, $12.99. That's a lot of money for one plate of food. I'm going to go get more. Three plates later, we sit back in the chair, we're stuffed, and we roll out of the restaurant. We're doing that to our audiences when we give them everything we have. The biggest mistake is thinking they want all this information. They don't. They want a couple of beautiful nuggets with your perspective, and if they want more, they'll come to you for more. Wow, that is so important. I'm just sitting here kind of like tickled in my seat over this whole thing because two things come to mind. One is you're absolutely right that you cram too much into a speech, your speech isn't going to be great. The other thing is in the almost 15 years now that I've been a professional speaker, the amount of time speakers are given on the podium has gone down. Now, part of this is what I call sort of the TEDx effect because TEDx came out and speeches were only 18 minutes on the TED stage or the TEDx stage. And meeting planners and other people who plan meetings saw all these videos that, I don't know when it got started, like 12 years ago, 15 years ago, these videos started to go viral and people made the decision. The reason The reason these talks were so great and the reason they went viral is because they were short, which actually isn't the reason. The reason was (laughs) is they were well rehearsed, they were well put together, and they had a single point. But people thought, oh, shorter must be better. So they started cramming a lot of things together. When I first started in the business, a keynote was usually about an hour and a half. Now you're lucky to get 45 minutes. You might only be getting 30. So our time is short. You can't cram everything into that. But the second reason why what you said was was so interesting to me was the first time I ever gave what I would call a professional level speech. It was inside a company I worked for and they had me do a 90 minute training on how to network for lawyers. I, were, I was the marketing director for a law firm. And at the end of the speech, one of the partners, his name's Ronnie, and I'm friends with him now, but I didn't know him then. I'd only worked there about a month. He raised his hand after I finished the 90 minutes and he said, I have a complaint. And I thought, oh, so this is how we do it in a law firm, right? I'd worked for corporate America, big companies. This is how we do it in a law firm. He's going to throw me under the bus in front of everybody. And I'm like, okay, Ronnie, what's the complaint? And he said, you put too much information into this 90 minutes. You should have given us a third of the information and let us go deeper on it. And then every quarter, you should bring us back into this conference room and give us a little bit more. And that was a huge lesson for me that don't cram everything in, just give them the parts that they need to have on that particular day. Love that. There's so much to unpack there. I, I've been TEDx coaching for seven years, Tom. And what I've noticed, even with the 18 minutes, and I couldn't agree with you more, it's not about the length of time of the talk, it's the value in the, in the preparation. The TEDx groups I'm working for, they're shortening. The, the talks are now going five to 10 minutes. Yep. Yeah, that's absolutely which, right. I, I'm, I'm looking to do a second TEDx. I did one in, in 2018. And, you know, that one of the options on the box is w- will you accept 18 minutes? 15 minutes, 12 minutes, or five minutes. And I'll check them all. I can do anything. Exactly. Because really, ultimately, it's about getting your idea out. And if we're speakers, we want the video. (laughs) So give me the video. But no, it is. And for anybody who started in the Toastmasters world and and maybe not even involved with Toastmasters, that original training of five to seven minutes is now coming back to be a huge benefit in the TEDx world with those shorter talks. Uh, without a doubt, one idea, that's all they want. That's what we should be giving them. Absolutely. So 
we're looking at this giant buffet, three plates full, plus like an ice cream dispenser as what most people are doing. The mistake that most executives are doing, they're cramming it all into all these getting extra plates, et cetera. How do people actually decide? Well, I have to choose between everything I've ever learned and everything I know. How do they choose the nuggets they're going to share? Well, this is a challenge for a lot of folks, but I think we have to ask. <laughs> we have to ask the meeting planner, the meeting organizer, the TEDx organizer, what is it specifically that will benefit your audience? What's the problem they're having? Then we can go back. We can take our stories, our research, whatever we use to support our points. But once we're clear on what they want to walk away with, then we can backtrack. And then we can decide, okay, this is the main point I'm going to make. This is the one story. This is my experience. Uh, Again, another problem that speakers have or a lot of leaders have is they think that audiences want more information. Hey, I can get more information off of this device right now. (laughs) Just, hey, you know, hey, hey, Siri, I better not say that because she's going to talk to me. But they don't want that. They want your perspective. Yes. There she was. There was Siri. Yeah, Siri spoke up. Yeah. She kind of delayed. I, I can understand. <laughs> I should not have done that. I should, I, as soon as I said it, I'm like, I better not do that. So I actually, um, I have to jump in. I actually saw a speaker at an event. It was a virtual event. And she actually said those words really loud with a question. And then people's devices went off. Uh, she actually used the Alexa version. And people were in their rooms and they had it open. And she said, hey, Alexa. And she asked a question and people were like shutting down. People were like trying to shut off their audio and stuff like that because their Alexas were going off. They're going mute. That's funny. But no, what we what they want is your perspective. You and I and, and every speaker and leader in the world, with rare exceptions, we're not talking about an idea that hasn't been discussed. But what hasn't been shared is your experience, your struggles, your victories in those circumstances. And that's what people want. That gives them the hope that they need that they can overcome problems also. And, and what if they're nervous about leaving some things out because their struggle and their journey was long and there's a lot of things they did. What if they're worried about leaving part of it out? They sh- it's easy to say, stop it, right? There's that old Bob Newhart skit from years ago, just stop it. That what we have to remember is the audience has no idea what you were going to say. They don't know your life script. They don't, they don't know what they didn't hear. What we have to do, and this is a, a great tip I got early in my career is, and, and Mike Rayburn, actually, who, uh, I love what he does. He says he takes his speeches apart and then makes uh, each part audition to get back in. But ask yourself the question, if I took this section out, this sentence, this point, would it hurt the, ma- the end message? And a lot of times it doesn't. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's too much information can actually take you down a path and, and you never get to your point if you're doing that. Now, your tagline for speaking CPR is become a confident and influential presenter. So how do we get to confidence? Because for a lot of people, even really successful business leaders, they're kind of scared to make a speech. Let's face it. You know, Toastmasters was started because back in the 1920s, the biggest fear that American ha- Americans had were being called on to give a speech. And they say that today that hasn't really changed. So how do we get from, oh my gosh, they're all going to judge me. I'm not that confident. I'm not that good. How do we get to become confident and influential? Number one is more than anything, once you get that speech written, It's repetition. It's rehearsal going over and over again. So you internalize, never memorize. I know you know this, Tom. We do not memorize word for word. We internalize the flow of ideas and get comfortable. That's going to take care of three quarters of it. 
know what your audience wants. Go in every time you speak, you should right before you, you stand in front of a group, remind yourself, why am I here? What's the benefit they're going to get? What is, am I going to have fun? I mean, enjoy this. And there's some, a lot of people think this is really find this hard to believe. Speaking is fun. If, if you're prepared and you're present with your audience and you're not focused on being polished. So one of the most important lessons I learned, it was actually in my early Toastmasters days. I used to take great pride when people said I was polished because the hair was straight, suit was pressed, the shoes. I mean, you could see your reflection in your shoes. And I thought I've got it going on. And I memorized my speeches. I was polished. And then one day, Tom, I was dusting my office and I had a can just like this, this in dust and I'm cleaning up the office and I looked down at the can and I thought, huh, nothing sticks to polish. When I'm polished, my message isn't sticking. Ooh, I like that. I've never heard that before. If you're too polished, Uh, nothing's going to stick. Right. So I went out and I just started opening up and being a little more authentic and not memorizing and making gaffes and mistakes. And I found that people related to me a lot better. So quit worrying about this idea that I've got to give the perfect speech because that's not what people want. Go up there and be human. Talk about your failures. So what do you think about executives joining a Toastmasters club? I think it's a good idea to start, especially if you're really nervous, because it's all about repetition. Any activity in life, we, it's, we the systematic desensitization, once we get used to an activity, we get more comfortable with it. But if you really want to supercharge, get coaching and training. Right. No, I, I tried for, yeah, you know, for seven years, I tried that do it yourself and Toastmasters slow growth. And it wasn't until in 2002, when I got my coaches and trainers, that I really started to take off. So I'm a huge believer in that. I'm a big fan of the Toastmasters organization. I, I never would be where I am today uh, as a speaker, as a podcaster, kind of as a human, if I hadn't gotten involved and gotten really involved. Uh, but I always tell people that what Toastmasters does is it teaches you the basic rules of public speaking. You go through that initial manual and you learn the 10, the 10 areas, which is like speaking to persuade, uh, uh, moving around movement, body movement, hand gestures, vocal variety, etc. You learn the basics. But the problem is when you see a truly great speaker, they're not that formulaic. So you no. take the formula that Toastmasters teaches you and you internalize it, you learn the rules, and then you throw it out. And the example that I use <laughs> is it's like Picasso, right? Picasso was a celebrated artist and what I'm not an art studier. So uh, what I would call sort of the, uh, uh, the realistic painting ways of landscapes and tabletops and portraiture. Picasso was celebrated in that. He was a great artist. When I went to the Picasso Museum, though, in Malaga, Spain, the first room is all of his early work. And it, it's like the, the the landscapes look like photographs. They're so good. But I'm like, who painted that? And they're like, Picasso. He knew the rules of lighting and texture and, and depth. And then he threw all the rules out when he became, you know, the guy who painted three eyes, four boobs, nine arms, etc. And the thing that was so interesting <laughs> about that is that had he not known all the rules, he never would have been able to throw them out and be as amazing as he was in the art that he did later in his career of what he's famous for. And so the same thing is true with speaking. I say you go, you learn those basic rules from Toastmasters. Then you go out, you start throwing it out, and then you get coaching to be able to put your own sort of bow on that thing. And every now and then I will coach an executive on on this type of stuff. And it's like if they are too set on the rules – They're very stiff. They're too polished. It's not going to work. So they have to be willing to learn the rules and then throw them out and let their personality shine. Do do you agree? 
Absolutely. And it's that repetition. There's no way to shortcut public speaking and, and, and terrific speakers, the hall of fame speakers, they are like hall of fame athletes. They make it look like oh, I just got up on the stage and started speaking. We didn't see the endless hours of practice by yourself, <laughs> talking to yourself. At least today you can stick a Bluetooth in your ear and people think you're on the phone. In the old days, it was like that person's talking to himself. Stay away from him. So, <laughs> yeah, so it, it is repetition. The other great thing about Toastmasters is what they call table topics. And for those of you who don't know yes. Toastmasters, it's impromptu speaking. And if you're in the meeting and you're not one of the speakers that week, they'll just call on you and they'll be like, Michael, please talk to us about the traffic in our town. And even if you know nothing about traffic, you have the time from you get to your chair to the front of the room to plan a two and a half minute talk on whatever subject they've given you. And boy, you learn to think on your feet after a year in Toastmasters. You do. And the, uh, another skill I would highly encourage your listeners to, to take up, Tom, is improv. I took uh, two years of improv classes and as a host, as a webinar host online, in-person speaker, whatever, trainer, one of the greatest training grounds there is because improv helps you think on your feet so fast and become a better listener. There's a huge misconception that it's all about laughter and being the funny person in the room. It's not. It's about being present. Humor is a byproduct of great improv. The challenge that a lot of the speakers have is we're trained when we're speaking, spotlights on us. In improv, it's all about making your partner look good. Mm-hmm. No, I've taken I've taken improv training. And then the other thing I did is four years ago, I got invited to go to an open mic night with uh, a gentleman by the name of Drew Tarvin. He's a professional speaker, speaks all over the world on humor in the workplace. He's also a professional comic. And he invited me to go with him to an open mic night and do stand up. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. And he said, aren't you the guy who teaches people to try new things? And I'm like, dang it. I hate it. I hate it when people throw your own content back at you. And so I went with him in New York City to a to a club in Greenwich Village, and I did a five minute stand up set. And I'll be honest, it wasn't great. Had Jerry Seinfeld been there, he would not have been worried about job security. However, when I got home, I decided I'm going to do a hundred open mic nights. And over the past four years, I had to take a year off because of that pesky little pandemic. But uh, I actually have done 140 open mic night tomorrow will be 140 open mic nights both in the town I live in and when I travel I just google like open mic night Cleveland and over four years I've done 140 of them it's made me a much better presenter from the standpoint of if you're going to try stand-up you're going to bomb you're going to say things that come out wrong boy you get much better at thinking you know clearly and where you want to go with any point after you've done 140 of those Oh, absolutely. And other than junior high student assemblies, the worst, well, not worst, the hardest audiences are comedy clubs. Oh, yeah. They, no yeah. quarter, yeah. but it toughens your muscles. So the other thing I want to touch on is uh, something I'll come to in just a second. But first, I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode, like all of them, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing people who are making waves in business like Michael Davis. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know, I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. 
So the other thing you were talking about was repetition and getting out there yes. and, and, and doing this. I read something in Speaker Magazine 15 years ago, and it was from Roxanne Emmerich, and she's a legend in the business, a speaker in the financial services world, started a big training company. And she said, until you've given 300 speeches, I don't care who you are, you're never going to be great. And there was more to what she said. And at the time, I'd given about 30, and I was like, 300, I'll never get to 300. Now that I've given a thousand professional speeches, I will tell you somewhere around number 300, and the same thing was true with podcasting, somewhere around 300 interviews, I sort of got my legs that I could handle whatever comes my way. So what do you think about repetition? Well, the minimum that we tell people is, it's a hundred is minimum, but I think Roxanne's closer. It's the professional speakers that I've worked with and now. 300 is, is the magic number. But for anyone, if, if, if it's like a one-time speech, if you don't give it 100 times, it's not, for lack of a better term, in your bones. And you're too much in your head. You can't be present for your audience. Even at 100, when I work on a story, around 100, I'm thinking, yeah, I, I think I got it. But another 100 reps is when I'm really starting to feel like this thing, no matter what happened, turn the lights off, kill the, the electricity, hit the fire alarm. I don't care. I can handle this crowd if you have to do it in the stairwell. So, yeah, absolutely. The more you do it, the more it's inside of you. You don't think about it. You're there for your audience. So, Michael, where's the breaking point that brings an executive to call speaking CPR and say, Michael, help me? Usually when they're 30 days or fewer from having to give a presentation because they have procrastinated too long. Some that are more forward thinking, maybe 60 or 90, but for some reasons around 30 days, they start to panic. All right. So an executive knows they have sort of a bet the company presentation, whether it's to clients, whether it's to their staff. Uh, whether it's to investors and they're about 30 days out and they're freaking out and, and they, they find you. And what's the first thing that you do to make sure that they're going to be ready? What's the first step? First step, we're going to work on their mindset. I need to see how much anxiety and fear we're dealing with. A lot of times there's not much, but we still have to figure out why that is. And I give them some exercises to do uh, in preparation over that 30 days plus the day of. Once we have that in place, we, we're going to strip it down to the bare message. We can't get involved in a lot of advanced delivery coaching or minutia of the message. We've got to make sure we've got a clear one point that they want to get across. We've got the stories and the supporting evidence that, that support that point. Have an opening that's going to grab people and conclude with a bang so that they are inspiring people to take some kind of next step. That's a lot in 30 days. And I, in my early days as a coach, I made the mistake of saying, violating my own principle, here, here's the buffet, let's give you three plates. And I backed off that and say, look, if you get this one idea across, you will have accomplished something. So I think, I think that's awesome. So, okay, so they, they come to you and they're working on it, but you said something in that that was also very interesting. And that was uh, about them getting ready and telling the stories. So let's move into the idea of storytelling. I mean, this is business. It's about bottom line. It's about money. It's about sales. It's about the product and service. Why tell stories in a speech? Uh, uh, spoiler alert. I know the answer. But why, Michael? Why tell stories? It humanizes us. It connects us to the audience so that they think, okay, you're just like me. Many times, and I, I, this happened at TEDx last year, Tom. I was working with TEDx Cincinnati women, and I told the women that I coach right before it started, I said, you have to understand something. The people sitting in this audience are absolutely in awe of you. Not because of your story, 
But because you have the guts to stand up and tell your story, <laughs> they're an obvious for being up there. They, they think often, I wish I could do that. But secondly, the story takes it deeper, makes that connection. And whatever your external situation, we can relate to them on a human basis through those six common fears or six common emotions. And once we connect with them emotionally, they're going to be more open to our message. So how do people find the right stories to go with their message? If it sounds like I'm shilling for coaching, I'm not. However, we cannot see the power in our own stories. I believe it's impossible. A perfect example, I'm working with a big uh, uh, IT company right now, working with one of a group of their executives. And a gentleman was telling a story about growing up in East Germany during the communist rule and how repressive it was and how difficult it was. But in his in Eastern Germany, I didn't know this, the community was huge. They, they really helped each other get through that ordeal. When the wall fell, the community dissolved. It became a free-for-all, everybody for him or herself. And he thought, I don't think, he said, I don't think anybody wants to hear that story. And everybody on the call is like, are you kidding me? That's incredible. He, he underscored a problem I see, Tom, that you and I and everyone else has. We don't see the power in our story because we lived it. I don't care how extreme it is. If somebody had major health issues, they got through it. They're thinking, well, I just lived it and I survived. I mean, I've literally had two incidents in my life where I could have died. The doctor told me. I didn't think anything of it because I made it through. Other people are saying, what was that like? So we need someone to help us see the power in the stories, whether it's a coach or a Toastmaster or a mentor, somebody to help you shine a light on what you are too blinded to. So if, if somebody's listening to this and they're like, oh yeah, this is me. I'm, I'm not that good. I have to do these types of speeches. I'm an executive. I'm a leader. What other advice do you have to them to get their, their speaking life in order? Well, the biggest is don't try to be perfect. Don't try to give them everything you've got. Just be authentic People have this impression of speakers, and it, a lot of times it's the old style of speaking that's given us this perception that we've got to get up there and be speaker man or speaker woman, and I'm going to <laughs> dominate the stage, and I'm going to give you all these gestures. Now, people don't want that. They just want you to talk with them about your journey, about how you faced a challenge. Someone came in and gave you advice and helped you. You struggled a bit, but eventually you got it. You learned the lesson, and now you're living a better life. So I love that's, that's I love they want. I love that example because it's the exact terminology that I've used for 15 years with people and that is when you get on stage don't be speaker man or speaker woman. You even use the same <laughs> tonation that I use. It just made me laugh because here's the thing. So often you see someone on stage and this is true with some of our professional speaker friends too. They're one mm -hmm. person on stage and there's somebody else when you hang out with them at the bar, both in their mannerisms yeah. and their style, but also in their message. They're talking about, oh, be nice to everybody. And then someone comes up and goes, oh, can I talk to you? They're like, no, I have a plane to catch. And they blow them off. And it's like, whoa, you know, you're not being congruent. I think the biggest yeah. compliment I ever got as a speaker was just before the pandemic, I spoke to a mortgage company, like 900 of their top people from around the country. And coincidentally, unbeknownst to me or the person in the audience, it was somebody I went to college with who I hadn't seen in over 30 wow. years. And afterwards he comes up and goes, do you remember who I am? And we were in the same fraternity, but I was on my way out of school when he was on his way in. So we didn't really overlap, but we had some similar friends and he created a text group to our mutual friends. And they were talking about, I was the keynoter at his, co his company conference. And one of the friends said, is he any good? 
And he said, yes, he's very good. But the other thing is he's the same person on stage. He always was at like the bar at the frat house. And I told him, I go, that's like the best compliment anybody could ever give me that, is. that you know, yeah. you're the same person on stage as you are when you're hanging out. Of course, I did say that means that I talk too much. I talk too fast and I don't <laughs> let anybody else have any time to speak because I was the keynote speaker. And he goes, well, that's true, too. <laughs> but this goes back to what I was talking about. And I'm not pointing fingers at anyone because my first seven years, speaker man, polished, got to be polished. I was speaker man, extreme. I didn't get it. But once I did, I thought, oh, this is what I'm, this is what I've been doing. And it's why nobody's listening to my message, really. And as a coach, I listen now for, there, there are little words I hear in speeches that tell me that somebody's going into speaker mode. And one of the words that I, that I catch is as. Here's an example. I was working with a gentleman a couple of years ago, and he, he said, as I was standing on the edge of the cliff and I looked over, <laughs> and I said, Len, stop. Well, time out. If you were sitting at us, uh, we were at a bar having a beer. How would you tell me this story? He said, he thought a minute and he said, I'm standing at the edge of the cliff and I'm looking down and I'm thinking, man, that's far. I said, then why aren't you doing that in speech? The word as is one of those that triggers us to go, I'm speaker, man, and I've got a story to tell. Therefore, I go, right, exactly. Yeah, therefore. Therefore. And and this is one of the the, uh, exercises I give my speech, my speakers is go through your script and ask yourself, do I really say those words over the lunch table? Right. And if not, Get it conversational. So, Michael Davis, this has been great. I'm sure it has inspired a lot of people who've listened. If somebody's listening and they're like, yeah, I need to get some coaching, how do they find Speaking CPR? Actually, I know it's just speakingcpr.com, but how do they connect with you? They can contact me, Mike, at speakingcpr.com. And I try to keep it real simple with Speaking CPR. Yeah, yeah, feel free to contact me. I've got some resources I'll be happy to send out to you. And uh, Tom, I appreciate the work you do on your podcast and also for NSA because uh, your energy brings a lot out of all your guests. And it's been a pleasure and an honor to be with you today. Well, thank you. And he's referring to one of the other podcasts I host as as people who listen regularly know I host several shows for companies and associations. And one of them is the National Speakers Association podcast, Speakernomics. So if you use the spoken word as part of your business, uh, you should jump over and find Speakernomics on Apple, on Stitcher, on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast joy. All right. So Michael Davis, thanks for being a guest here. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every single show. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we do this? Uh, We are up well over 700 episodes now. We're not stopping anytime soon. If you like the show, go leave one of those wonderful reviews. But more important, go tell your friends because everyone who listens to my podcasts tell me, all of them, in fact, they say it's because of word of mouth. Somebody told me about the show. So uh, make sure you do that. Go out there, flex your business muscles, improve your professional speaking skills, and uh, make sure you're having some fun along the way when you're giving speeches. Don't just be speaker man who's grumpy and doesn't want to be there. Enjoy it. Have some fun. And... Go out there and have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.